Well, hey you, hello there, every person everywhere. Well, hello again, once again, everybody. Welcome to season four of Every Person Everywhere. I'm your host, Lynn, and this is stuff that you can relate to, hopefully. So, in my last season, I talked a bit about how I travel the way I do. I laid the foundation for what the rest of this podcast is largely going to look like. And now comes the nitty gritty. This season will most likely be longer because I'm going to try and cover every travel that I did between the beginning of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. Spoiler alert, I did, I would say, 80 to 85% of my travels in Europe in this time frame. So I'm going to be covering a lot of ground. So there's going to be quite a few episodes, and I'm going to go fairly in-depth with most of them. Once again, I am going off of nothing more than pictures and memories, but I have found in doing this podcast that it's helped me relive some of my most favorite memories. Recording this podcast has been very beautiful for me because I've been able to reflect on what an incredible, incredible life I've lived and the crazy, crazy things that I've done with it in such a short amount of time. After all, doing everything that I did before the age of 25 slash 26 is largely unheard of for most people. Even people that live in Europe or live somewhere where there's a lot of access, cheaply, mind you, as well, to a lot of different countries and cities and towns and experiences. It's it's amazing. And I know that Europe is, you know, roughly the size of America, a little bit smaller if you don't count Greenland and parts of Russia, but you know, even so, it's not the same as America at all because yes, there's some culture change. And there, I, I had a degree of culture shock in every single state that I went to. But what's so vastly different is every country has its own unique and distinct lore and history and comeuppance and language and just overall development. So you will never hear the same story twice. Even if I did very similar things between most of the places I went there are no two stories that are similar. And so let's dive in to me visiting my best friend from high school and also my prom date, Heike. So she's from Denmark. She's from a small town called Aarhus. And we didn't have enough time to go up there and visit her family, unfortunately, just because she had to work. And I was on a bit of a time crunch because I only had, like, enough money at this point for four-ish, five-ish days if I wanted to then still have money to do everything else that I would eventually end up doing the rest of this year. This was that period of time where the loan bursary was about eight and a half to nine months apart from the last one instead of four to five months. So... I was living on a wing and a prayer, and this is how I learned how to travel and budget very well, very cheaply, very fast. So, my lodging was free because I slept on an air mattress on her floor. I was having some relationship difficulties, and she, being the staunch Dane that she was, told me to make your move now or get off the pot. You need to move and, you know, 
tell tell this girl you're seeing who i was seeing at the time obviously how it is and don't hurt her don't lead her on and good advice Heike. very very good advice so uh we spent a lot of time together her and i um she showed me churches and she showed me some walking tours that she attended with me because even though she's danish and she was going to school in copenhagen there was still a lot about the city that she didn't actually know for instance she didn't actually know that copenhagen was deemed the most flammable city in europe because it actually burnt down about seven times it was one of the first monarchies in the world as well in Denmark. Denmark was subservient of a different kingdom for a very long time until they got their own freedom. Even though they owned other places themselves like Iceland and Greenland that were under their rule and Greenland still kind of sort of is actually because they are sovereign from Denmark just like the Faroese Islands I believe as well are sovereign to Denmark if I'm not mistaken. So, Scandinavia still has a lot of Viking conquest written in it. The diet, very much the same as it was in Finland and Sweden. So, lots of potatoes and meats and um, stuff like that. And um, it was a nightmare for Heike because she enjoys cooking and being a very good host. Just like when she had come and visited me and I did the best I could to host her. It was a nightmare because, remember, I'm vegetarian... And at this point, I'm trying to be as strict a vegetarian as possible. And most foods that she wants to cook for people that come to visit her are traditional Danish foods, which are very meat heavy. So we had to get very creative. And she did make like, you know, Danish meatball pasta type thing with um, vegan meatballs. But she said, I cannot bring myself to call it this because I'm proud of my heritage and my culture. And this is not that thing so whoops but you know i got to sleep for free uh breakfast was the same every day but you know pretty easy she walked me around the central station and showed me what it was like to purchase a bus ticket there what it's like to tap in tap out reload and i got to live like a dane when she was at work and i had time to be on my own i know found my own ways into the city uh from kastrup she was in kastrup division of um copenhagen i got to do a walking tour of christianstown i got to see my first um free radical free liberalized society my first free society was the freetown christiania and what that means is it's a bunch of people that i don't know how it's legal but they just kind of decide that they're gonna do their own thing and try to become an independent state. And so there's another one that I visited later in Lithuania called Ujupis. Um Lots of run-down, homeless-esque looking things, but there's lots of restaurants there, um, lots of um, illicit drugs and narcotics consumed on the regular there. As long as you are discreet, you get to live like the hippie you've always wanted to be in a commune with other hippies. And they're recognized as being autonomous even though they're not their own thing they still have to abide by the rules of denmark but it's just established that christiania and christianstown does their own thing christianstown itself being a big city on the outskirts of copenhagen still being part of copenhagen but 
because it was susceptible to flooding, the only people that wanted to move there and live there were all fishermen. So I learned a lot about the history of Copenhagen. I got to learn about the Rosenborg, which is their national palace. I got to go to their national garden, which was very unimpressive because it was winter. But it was awesome. You know, just getting to walk around and meet people. I met some people that I'm still in contact with to this day who were staying at a hostel nearby. Well, they were on the walking tour with me. So there was a girl from South Africa that I had hung out with and actually almost got together with, but then, you know, just timing and distance. And she was in Hungary and I was planning on Hungary a little bit later. So I didn't actually get to, you know, enact anything on that. So once again, I reiterate, I'm happy and secure in my relationship now, but she is one of the ones that got away. And she even said, like, I definitely fancied you and it would have been nice to see where it would have went. But no, you were in England. I was in Budapest. And then after that, you, I went back to, back to South Africa. You had no way of getting to me. So wherever she's at now, I hope she's living her best life. There was also a dude from the Netherlands that I hung out with on that tour group. And then there were two British people that I was in contact with and a German girl. Um, unfortunately, most of the people that I've met that are German, I've since lost contact with since meeting them. But still, um, Germany is its own microcosm as well. You know, the people who are from North Germany are very punctual and matter of fact. The people who are from South Germany are more laid back and relaxed. Um, either way around, do not jaywalk in any of these countries that I've talked about so far. Like, it's punishable by jail sentence in some parts of Europe. And even if it's not, it is still very, very frowned upon. Like, I jaywalked a little bit in Denmark and I got cursed out. It's, it's not pleasant. And once again walking around Denmark looking at all these beautiful old things and by the way Denmark and Sweden are very big on art museums and these art museums are very big on sex so sex and Vikings were <laughs> everywhere in Denmark when I did anything recreational um, like people will flirt with you just because they feel bad for you kind of deal in a lot of these places um, and I've been told as well, like, sometimes, like, people will hook up with you just because they feel guilty for you, or it's their way of saying hello sometimes. Um, very, very interesting culture. But as introverted as they are, they still club. Because, like, I talked about Fika in Sweden, which is, you know, sitting down for a long cup of coffee and just vibing for several hours, you know, not grabbing an espresso and leaving, like sitting there and catching up for like four hours. Denmark not only does a similar thing, but they also are the kingdom of Huga. And Huga was everywhere. People, as introverted as they might have been, and as crazy as they might have gotten with their parties and clubbing and stuff. And once again, another thing that blew my mind is in America, normally you go to a club to try and find somebody to screw that night. You just go to dance and have a good time over in Europe, which, you know, being an introvert for the most part blows my mind. And being somebody who grew up with the understanding of you go to find your next bed buddy and you don't do that in Europe, you just go and chill and vibe like that blew my mind. I'm still not used to that, and I went to many a club just to attempt to get used to it. None of them ever did. So, 
even if COVID wasn't a thing, I would probably never go again. But after all of that craziness and, you know, drinking all that beer and all those shots, like, they unwind with Huga. And Huga was everywhere. Huga was every walking tour I did for free. Huga was everything I bought. Huga was every comforting thing I ate. What is Huga? Huga basically is Denmark's way of saying comfort and home and cozy. They have a specific word to describe the sense of cozy togetherness and like things being okay. Just like in Sweden and Finland and Norway, they have lagom. With lagom is things are just okay the way they are. Like there no there needs to be no improvement. They're just okay. So take lagom and fika and sort of combine them and you get huga. So this shows because Denmark is always in the top three happiest countries and like most gender neutral countries and like just socially liberalized and socially justiced countries. Denmark is one of the best places to live in the world to just be human. You get five years of education for free if you're a European citizen, not even Danish. Now, actually, I think you only get three or four years if you're a European citizen, and it's five if you're Danish, but still free school if you're European. Free healthcare. Tax rate, not as bad as people think it is. It's obviously a higher margin because of so much free stuff, but they have a great military, they have great healthcare, they have great education, they have great social justice initiatives. They produce some of the best environmental research in the world. They value culture and history. And I think all of it is once again because of Huga and the comforts of home in Denmark. Denmark leads candle and chocolate and alcohol consumption every single winter season. They're number one in the world for all of those. And it sounds bad, but they're not binge drinkers. They drink responsibly. They just buy a lot of it and share it with their friends and they share it with their family and it's ingrained into what they do. And so far that, no, Heike made me some beer pancakes one morning and even though it was seven o'clock in the morning, she was like, so I only used half this beer and I'm demoing this beer at work and I have two extra cans of it. Do you want to drink the rest with the pancakes? And of course, me now finally getting used to the fact that Europeans just drink whenever, as long as they've had breakfast first, I said, sure, whatever. And so I started that Friday off with a beer. Um, obviously seems very alcoholic-y, behaviorally to Americans and most Americans, but, you know, hear me out. It's not all that bad at the end of the day. It's just life in Denmark. It's just how and what they do. You know, you can drink several times a day. You just don't drink to the point where you're sloshed if you have something important to do. You enjoy your kin. You enjoy togetherness. You know, dinner time in Denmark means that you are sitting there making an active effort to engage everybody at the dinner table. There are no cell phones. It is usually lit by candles. People disconnect and just enjoy each other's presence every single day after work. 
And that was one other great thing about being in Denmark. Even if she and I were doing nothing together, you know, hiking, I really just enjoyed our time and our company. And I finally understood. You know, like I said in the previous season, I finally understood why she was just okay with the pace of life in West York as compared to Hollywood. It obviously would have been much busier if she got to her preferred destination. And I'm still remorseful that her small rural school, the best they could do was send her to freaking York, Pennsylvania, when she had big dreams of being a movie producer and a film star and all that good stuff. But I understood now why people in Denmark are just grateful and happy and okay with whatever pace of life life throws at them. Huga is the lesson that I learned on this trip. And so my first assignment to you is further Google Huga if you don't understand it the way that I've explained it. Try and apply that to your life. Are there things that you do or have done that are Huga? What could you improve upon, if anything? What would you change? What would you do? What would you let go? If you knew that you were not going to live past the end of the year, what would you do differently? Because that's how the Danes live. They don't hold on to anything that does not bring them joy. They do not hold on to worries and woes. And because of their consumption habits, you know, being very stodgy, very alcohol and chocolate ridden, lots of sugar and sweets and stuff. Unfortunately, they as a nation do not have the longest lifespan, but they really live up the saying that the Irish have claimed creating, and actually I'd probably believe it because I heard it there first, that I'm here for a great time, not a long time. They own that, and they do it well. What can you do, my friend, to live like the Danes? And I'll leave it at that. Thus concludes the overview of my time in Denmark. And to this I add my beautiful silence. Well, hey you, hello there. Every person everywhere. Well, hello again, everybody everywhere in the world. My name is Lynn, and I am the front person for every person, and I am your host for every person everywhere, and this is stuff that you can relate to, hopefully. So, I'm going to start off with a little bit of gratitude today in my own sense of huga and comfort of home. The music that I've been producing has finally made a decent little splash. I finally have over 30 consistent listeners every single month, which doesn't sound like a lot, but considering that I've done two shows and I have done pretty much no advertising, that that's incredible to me. And I'm not just talking family members, because I can see the demographics of who listens. And actually a lot of people that listen are people that... I don't even know directly, so that's pretty cool. Like, obviously, my family members have listened to my music, and my friends have listened to my music, and they appreciate it. But they're about as consistent with listening to Spotify as I've been, which is, you know, like, once or twice a week. 
and obviously they have their own other tastes as well. So the only way to go from here, my friends, is for me to continue expanding my catalog and continuing to pump out music and you know, eventually find a little group and make it work. But until then, I am working full time. I am trying to make ends meet financially and physically, and I'm reminiscing about the good old days, which I believe takes us to the next series of travels that I did. If I remember correctly, I then took my next series of travels in... I believe Norway, Svalbard, and Spain and Portugal, as well as the monastery, which I already talked about, which would have been mid-April. I'm pretty sure that I did the rest of the stuff I've done a little bit later. So let me jump into talking about Norway. Now, Norway is one of those countries where everything's expensive there's a lot of mountains everywhere and a lot of the countries above sea level. So me being asthmatic and walking around, that was really fun. Oslo is built in a mountainside. So when you go to explore Oslo, you're going to be walking amongst the mountains a lot. Like, I don't think there's really any secret about that. Well, okay, maybe if you've never researched Oslo, but yeah. To get from where most of the cheap hotels are and slash or the airport, or if you're staying in an Airbnb like I did that's just below the city limits of the airport, um, it's a bit flatter, not as mountainous. So when you try to go walk to the art district, the entertainment district, to the pier so you can go and do a little tour of the fjords, which I had done, um, you will be walking pretty much straight uphill. There's also this nice phenomenon in Norway and Moseskandi called Matus, which is food house. So it's like an indoor market that specializes not on things that you buy to take with you, but things that you just go and eat and consume. So think of like a street vendor, but a lot of them and all under one roof, semi, if not permanently, permanently. <clears throat> There's also this beautiful river that sustained the town since they started. Which, when you look at anthropology and you look at de degrees of separation in society, I forget what the actual term is. Kevin, if you ever listen to my podcast, please don't shoot me, professor. Please don't. I, I, I loved your class. I just forget what the term's called, man. But basically, every civilization needs fresh water. Fresh water means they have things to drink. They have things to cook and clean with. They have things to fertilize the land with and grow crop with. So every major civilization that started pre 15, 1600s that didn't have massive extensive aqueducts with the exception really of like Rome, they all needed to be either by the ocean or by a body of water. And you can tell that Oslo thrives off of their life-giving river, Akerselva. Selva means river. And I believe Aker actually translates loosely to giving or fruitful or bountiful or something like that. So 
the first degree of civilization, um, civilization, rather, whoops, <laughs> in Norway, settled right on the crest of the bank of the Akerselva, and a lot of main things in Oslo still exist there to this day, with the exception of things that are around the fjords, because the fjords are mountainous glaciers thingies that are right next to the ocean, or right next to an inlet of water. So, Oslo never went thirsty, ever, at any point in time. They no longer use most of their mills that they do, but they had one of the world's first sustainable hydroelectric dams to harness energy of the water right along Akerselva. When I went to their museum, there was a lot of crops that were grown around there, a lot of factories and mills that were there right along the riverbank. And it was very humbling to see that people still just went there to hang out and have a good time. There were lots of open-air markets everywhere, as is very customary in Norway and most of Scandinavia, as you just go there and enjoy it. A lot of people would go day drinking on top of the mountains, and of course my Norwegian friend said when I hiked one of the, I think it's called Grenningen Parks or something like that. It's one of the biggest hills in Oslo, which I called a big mountain, and they were like, dude, that's a hill compared to the rest of the hiking I've done. But then again, I didn't really have enough finances or money or time to go any further north, except when I accounted for Svalbard, which will be its own episode, even though it is technically legally sovereign to Norway. This was one of the places where extreme sports would thrive. One of the coolest things I saw was this massive downhill slope that skiers could take at literally any point in the year. They always had it running. And the opera house and the culture museum. There's a lot of culture and history. And Oslo seems to have a very deep appreciation for who they are and where they've been. You know, even if they don't associate themselves with the way that things used to be, they're still this group of people that has a very deep appreciation for where they grew up and where they were. Oslo was also an airport that I would frequent as... I would go into Oslo to see Oslo, that I'd go to the airport to fly to Svalbard, get back, and then from that airport, I would lay over for a day and then fly to Spain. No, I flew back home for a day and then flew to Spain. So I actually visited that airport almost as much as I visited South End on Sea in London. <clears throat> and it was a nice airport. It was an actually not very expensive airport. The flights were cheap. The food was cheaper than most of the rest of Norway, actually, which for an airport is saying something. The public transport system there is amazing. Getting on the trains there is very easy. And like I said before, with the exception of going to the airport or like going out of town, nobody really checks your tickets to see if you paid or not. So I shuttled around Norway free of charge for the most part. I went into Oslo's proper to see their memorial palace where the the hierarchy and the parliament still calls home to this day and I got to hang out with my hostel mate Igor and we went and saw the changing of the guard there and um, they tell you to stand back because they stop for no one and people have actually gotten run over by this guard when they've changed before because they didn't freaking listen and they got ran over because the guard is on a very tight schedule they run a very tight regime and they stop for exactly nobody not even one of their own if one of their own falls they just 
continue moving the line like they're not there, which has also happened. Just like when you see American Army Guard and their fighter positions and their fighter jets and all that. If you've ever paid attention to those, they always leave a space empty in the formation and they do not tighten or fill the formation. They leave that space where their lost comrade would be. Or sometimes the comrade just couldn't make it for one reason or another. You know, maybe it was a special parade and these people were, it's still part of their job details, but they have a life outside of the military now. And let's say they were to meet at the military base in Kentucky, but they live in lower Tennessee and they really didn't have the time to just on a Thursday, make a six hour drive to get in their plane again. That's happened before too. It's, it's frowned upon, obviously, just like it is with the parliamentary guard in Norway, but it happens. Um, as far as food goes, I was trying to budget very, very effectively. So this part of my travels, I would take whatever freebies I could get from the hostel, which this hostel actually had free coffee and they had discount breakfasts. So breakfast I had at the hostel, I think it was just like muesli or something. And muesli is a breakfast form that I still enjoy very, very much to this day. I still throw it in smoothies. I still eat it a couple times a month. That was all I ate for breakfast most days of the week while I lived in Europe. Um, Muesli is wheat germ and wheat bran. And then, of course, other kinds of, like, cereal flakes. But then it's mixed with fruits and nuts and seeds. And, you know, even one handful of muesli contains, like, 220 nutrient-dense calories. So there's that. And it provides, like, 40% of your daily fiber and usually has at least 6 grams of protein and usually counts for a decent amount of your uh, polysaccharide carbs per day. So from a nutritional standpoint, I didn't I didn't not have nutrition intake. I just didn't have the caloric intake and that's how I lost all the weight that I did if you ever see the pictures that you know I was 155 pounds give or take when I moved to Europe. And by the time I came home this upcoming summer, I was about 135, if that. So I lost a lot of weight by making all of my muscle mass very lean and getting rid of a lot of fat. And I did that just by walking everywhere. To this day, I still have protein as a staple in every single meal, even though I'm vegetarian. But yeah, and that's that's sort of what I budgeted my food off of as well. So when I went to this random Indian dosa restaurant, I had um, a dosa platter and it was like 13 bucks because food's expensive in Norway and that's the cheapest dinner I could actually find. But I had lentils and beans and tofu. So that was good. And everything was in like a creamy like yogurt sauce. So that's some extra protein content as well. As far as actual Norwegian food goes, I didn't have that much this time around actually except I had their vegetarian counterparts additions when I had a vegan hot dog before getting on the bus to get on the the plane that I took to go back home and then in the airport I had um, some sort of Danish Norwegian snacks I forget what they are now I'm not going to lie I'm sorry about that um 
and yeah, it was just this otherworldly experience just to be in Norway, so I didn't focus that much on the food, to be quite honest, to be completely honest with you. Um, and so my groceries, I think, I'm pretty sure, for my time that I was there, because I spent two days in Oslo seeing and doing as much as I could before going off to Svalbard, and I did take some of the food with me on the plane. I honestly think I just got, like some tortilla like some whole grain tortilla wraps and some egg salad and that was my lunch and then oh and I got a bag of trail mix I got a massive bag of trail mix and I just snacked on that as I walked and yeah that's that's how you do travel on the move now I've sort of briefly talked about Oslo as a whole it's a very hopping city it's a very laid-back city much like Copenhagen was because the population just isn't there compared to a lot of Europe and a lot of Norwegians and Scandinavians in general prefer to not live in the city. They enjoy being ecologically friendly. And Oslo actually took the greenest city in Europe spot for many, many years until London actually surpassed it. And the only reason they did is they now have planted more trees. Now, they still produce a lot of carbon and crap from all the factories and companies that are there, but they now have more literal green space than any other European city at long last, which is, I'm very happy for London for that. Even if it's not the cleanest city otherwise, like, they, they definitely they definitely got their act together for that. So, you're, there's lots of parks to enjoy, there's lots of wildlife to enjoy, there's lots of hiking right inside the city limits to enjoy in Oslo. And of course, if you have the money, you can go up to Lillehammer and Lofoten and up to Tornio and Hellfest and, um, or Hammerfest is what it's actually called, but Hellfest is the festival they have up there. Um, and you can go to a bunch of other towns that are up there that are now escaping me, but I do have some friends that lived up that way from school. Uh, so, um, Halger and, um, Joanna and Matthias, I'm so sorry that I forget where you guys live at present moment. I'll have to figure that out later and, um, apologize on behalf of me not remembering. I do all of them. I do all of them a visit, but yeah, they all obviously took buses down to Oslo and left from Oslo for London, but they're from three very separate mountainous communities in Norway. And that's what Norway is built on, is these little communities. And most of Scandinavia is built on that, too. Because you got to remember, like Kattegat and Hedby used to be with the Viking times. They just kind of settled wherever they could, wherever there was water, wherever they could raise their sheep and their goats, and wherever they could hunt and pillage from. And that's that's how they started their civilization really is that's how they settled they settled wherever it was convenient and so there's lots of convenience points around norway where they were able to go and scavenge iceland and the faroe islands after they realized that there were abundant resources there and that's just what they did and they also set a couple of houses as guard posts originally in the fjords so let's talk about the fjord islands in oslo so for the same price as a regular bus ticket, which I think is like $6, you can take a boat and you can visit the fjords. 
Now here's the thing. On these five, six islands, there's a lot of cute restaurants that are usually only open certain days, certain seasons. So I didn't actually get off and stop at any of them. The boat leaves every 45 minutes. So if you end up thinking the island sucks, your best bet is to sit on the pier for 30 minutes. Because that's what you're going to do. Now, let's say 4.30 in the afternoon rolls around and you're late for the last boat on. Well, it's a good thing that if, as long as you're not in a national park, camping is free and not frowned upon in Norway. And I say that because you're going to be stuck there or you're going to be swimming. Nobody is going to come for you. I think there are some private charter boat companies that have done rescues before, but it's extremely expensive. And honestly, it's not that hard to just be back at the bus on time. Every restaurant on the island closes, knowing that a lot of their employees work in mainland. And a lot of people visiting, 98% of them are from mainland. So they close with enough time for you to get down to the pier again. You just have to not get lost in nature along the way. Because the nature is very lush on these very tiny, tiny islands. Which is really cool. And once again, I don't remember exactly what they're called, but if you look at the Fjord Islands in Oslo, you'll see what I mean. So I went and took a lot of pictures of the houses there, the wildlife. Man, the whole nine yards. And it was, it's beautiful. So <clears throat> I guess what I learned from this trip is that you make friends in the most unexpected ways and you keep them in the most unexpected ways. <laughs> Igor, the guy that I became friends with, who was from the Czech Republic and Ukraine originally, who was my housemate, or my hostelmate, he did not speak very good English. I spoke no Slavic languages, so we were both very frustrated with each other at first. But to this day, we still communicate at least three times a year and check in on one another. We're still very good friends. I told him that he's able to come visit me in Pennsylvania whenever he wants. And just like I did before, I actually visited him when I went to the Czech Republic because he lived and worked in Prague at that point in time. So I told him, hey, you know, if I ever get back to Central Europe, we're hanging out again. We're going to go to a bar and we're going to grab a drink or obviously I don't drink anymore, but still we're going to grab some food just like we did back then. Because one of the best meals I had was this random falafel burger that I had in the Czech Republic's uh, one random restaurant that he and I had walked to and gone to. <clears throat> so just like all the rest of the people I met in my travels in Europe Igor, wherever you are, I miss you dude Like you were a super cool dude and um, definitely don't forget that trip and you always are just a sunbeam away from whoever it is that you wish to see again that's another thing that I learned very quickly as well is you're never too far away I leave it at that. And to this I add now my beautiful silence. <laughs>